In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. God likes to see his kids playing in the sandbox. God likes to see his kids playing ping pong. God likes to go to people's football games. He, he wants to see you play. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm your host for this show, Jim Ramos, and the founder and president of Men in the Arena. Hey guys, I'm really excited about today's guest. This guy, we've been saying this forever, this guy is the founding senior pastor of 2017's fastest growing church in America. How did he do it? Investing in men. Duh. When a man gets it, everyone wins. This guy's passionate about men and men's ministries, and it shows in his massive church. Uh, he wrote a wonderful book for men that, I, you know, as you guys know, I read about, well, I've already read 50 books this year. And I read a lot of books, and this is a really, really good book, guys. This is worth your time. I'll tell you more about it later. But before we get into our interview with Brian, I want to throw out a man law for you today, guys. And as you know, man laws are supplied by you. They're inspired by you, our audience. Uh, we just think that you are the hero in this story. And so we want to highlight you and your story. And if we use your man law, if you hit us up at info at send us your mailing address, and we will shoot you some swag. Now, this one here comes from Joshua Scott. He's sent us several uh, man laws. He was on a roll one day, and this one is uh, catchy. I like it. It says this, life ain't fair, and the fair only comes once a year. And I'll add, and when it does, I'm all about the footlong corndog. I get one footlong corndog a year, and it's at the fair. So, Josh, Joshua, you hit us up at info at manarena.org with your mailing address. We will send you some swag. Thanks for your contribution. And, guys, when we get about two or 300 of these, we're going to put them into a book. It'll be really fun to have a book of man laws. So, also want to highlight our hero story this week. Guys, remember, we are just your guides. We are just the guys coaching you along. You are the heroes in your story. God has called you to be on display in front of those who love you and depend on you. And here's an email we got from Dave. And so Dave, uh, dwkruick at gmail.com, hit us up and we will send you some swag. Dave wrote this. First off, I love your podcasts. I'm working my way through them. I started at the beginning. Good job, Dave. And I'm currently on episode 255. So Dave, you're halfway, brother. Love your podcasts. I'm in the middle of the arena getting hit from all sides, exclamation marks. Luckily, I'm standing on the rock of Jesus. Your podcast is different than other podcasts I listen to. You are down to earth, and you do not sugarcoat things. Thank you for keeping it real. And so, Dave, thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate that. We try to be real and honest and vulnerable with you guys. So, Dave, hit us up, and we'll take care of you with some swag. So, hey, guys, I'm excited to have our guest on the show today, Brian Tome. Brian is 56 years old. He lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, with Libby, his beautiful wife of 30 years. Brian's a founding senior pastor of Crossroads Church, 2017's fastest growing church in America. He's authored four books, including his bestseller and our subject for today, The Five Marks of a Man. Guys, you're going to love this book today. He hosts the Aggressive Life podcast, which I did not know, which I'm excited about. And he started Man Camp, a primitive weekend 
camping experience that has helped tens of thousands of men reclaim the code of manhood. An avid adventure motorcyclist. That's the first guy I've ever met who does that. This is really cool. Brian rides tens of thousands of miles and camps more than 30 nights a year. He has also released an adventure ride TV show called the Fant- called Phantom Lake. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's an honor to have Brian Tome on our show today. Brian, it's great to have you on the show, man. Jim, it's an honor to be with you. Unfortunately, my special on Amazon Prime got bumped, so you can only get it on YouTube right now. But other than that, it's great to be with you. Well, hey, I'm going to go check it out. I'm really intrigued. I love that stuff. So, man, it's, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I've got a couple questions about some of the things I read in your bio. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born at a very early age. <laughs> and then and and then I was adopted. So I'm adopted, and that's kind of a part oh. of my spiritual journey. It uh, just really gives me a heart for bringing people into the family of God because I was brought into a family as an infant. And uh, there was some kind of some primal wounds there. And I feel like there's wounds with men and women. And they're not in the family of God. So I'm really excited about getting people in the family. And I uh, started Crossroads when I was uh, 30 years old. That was uh, a little over 25 years ago. And through that, we've just had a lot of twists and turns in the road, starting some different things and coming into a uh, just an awareness that I really have a heart. In addition, just building the church, building just normal people who show up. I've just got a real heart for men. You know, men are men are hurting right now, Jim. Men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women, three times more likely to have a mental illness than women, two times more likely to have an alcohol or substance abuse related instance than women. I don't think men have it easier than women in culture. I still think if you're a woman, it's harder to be in America than it is a man. But we have some unique challenges that are laying guys out. And I feel like I need to be engaged in that. And glad you are as well. Well, and what you didn't say is we, they are a hundred times more confused than women. <laughs> just, they are so confused, right. which I really, I appreciate your book. You just laid it out there for guys. Uh, actually, my favorite, one of my favorite sermons for men is uh, the passage you use for your book. But before we get into that, tell us about man camp. I see man camp around everything you do. Is this something just for your church? Is this something that you do across the country? Tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, we just got done with a man camp a couple days ago. We had uh, fifteen hundred guys from thirty-two different states come into uh, Neville, Ohio. It's a primitive camping experience. You're pooping in the woods. Uh, we we do have porta potties because it's a mandated by Ohio law. But guys pack in their own tents. They pack in their own coolers. They pack in their own food. Other than lunch, we give them a lunch, and it's just a time to get back to our roots. You know, Jim. Guys, I, I, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that guys are struggling is there's things that men have always done that we're not doing. Every man in the history of the world, in every corner of the globe, save for the last 50 years or so, has slept outside. Every single man in the history of the world, in every corner of the globe, has, um, has taken a poop in the woods. Every single man in every corner of the globe, in every time period, has learned how to feed themselves, has has his stripped something, has killed something, has has these kind of things. And as these things are dropping away from us as men, I think we're losing our self-confidence, which is part of what goes to those statistics I quoted earlier. So it came on the back end of a motorcycle trip. I was with some buddies. It was about six to eight of us. We just had a very difficult uh, previous day of riding. We camped beside a little creek. Uh, We sat around the campfire and we just started talking about life and some deeper things. And it struck me Guys are yearning for this sort of connection that the most prevalent epidemic in America is loneliness. And so we started thinking, what could we do to replicate things on a bike trip that guys could experience who were never going to ride a motorcycle? And so that's when Man Camp was born. There's a sense of adventure. There's unpredictability. There's a lot of time at the fire. There's a lot of laughing. There's um, there's physical challenge. And uh, it's been a it's been a really good run so far. That's super cool. Yeah, we do something very similar. Only ours is called the Death Ruck, and we did a fifty six <laughs> mile fifty six miles seventy five hundred feet of gain over thirty six hours, and took my son with us. We do a write up. We did a write up passage with another guy, and that's just. We, I just think doing hard things is so important in this world where. Men aren't challenged. I mean, let's be honest. We're pencil pushers, you and I. We sit at a computer right. and we bang out keys. So we have to do something to challenge us physically or or we're going to 
die early, die defeated. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing, man. So one of the things that we say all the time, it's really almost a purpose statement. It was a tagline. We just say it all the time. We just believe when a man gets it, everyone wins. And so when I read your book, I it was really inspiring to me to read a book written by a senior pastor who actually cares about men, not, not just saying they care, but actually cares about men. And you built a church that became the fastest growing church in America. And it sounds like you built it on the shoulders of men. Am I right? Talk to me about that. Well, I've got a masculine voice and we recognize from day one (laughs) that women are easier to, to reach than men. Uh, you know, one of my one of my questions for God is when I get to heaven is why are there so many great, good Christian women and so few men for them to choose from? It's it, it's really it's really a bummer. So, uh, yep. you know, I was just reading my time with God just the other day in Acts where, um, you know, the earthquake happens in the in the jail and uh, Paul and Silas decide to not escape the jail and the Roman slash Philippian jailer comes back and he sees that they're there. And then he takes him back to his house and it says he and his whole household are baptized. Yep. I saw a study, maybe, you know, it, Jim, that I don't remember the exact number, but something like 90% of every, every family, when a man comes to know Christ first, the rest of the family follows. And that's what we saw in that passage. Him and his whole household got baptized unfortunately that's not the same statistic with women i wish it was because women do tend to be more spiritually mature spiritually advanced spiritually committed than men but if we want to change our culture if we want to change our families somebody has to do a better job of speaking the masculine tongue and reaching men and so that's what we try to do i I would not say that we're the ultimate church with that we still have more women than men that show up on a weekend service but our ratios are a lot better than the average church that's for sure yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, there's 93% chance that the whole family will follow a man, according to Baptist Press Survey in 1996. And so I just believe that. It's all throughout the Bible. And if you look at God throughout the Bible, which you know this, every t- almost every time God does a great work, he starts with a man, from Adam to Paul to Peter to the man who's listening to this podcast. And so I appreciate that. So before I get into the book, I want I want I pulled out your my favorite quote from the book. I actually tweeted it yesterday. And I just it it really speaks to your voice in the book, and I'm, I'm really just curious gonna read about it. this. I'm just going to well, read it. <laughs> is it was, was it was it was it the quote? Let me guess. Was the quote Jesus is Lord? Was it that was it that quote? No, no, no. This is one. <laughs> this one's uh, this one's uh, worse than that, but better. So this one, I'm just going to read it. I just want you to tell me what you think when I read it. If a man eating lion showed up at your church, it would most likely die of starvation. But it hasn't always been the case. <laughs> right right exactly yeah it's it's um there was a book a seminal book out a number of years ago why men hate church it's 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 pretty documented the churches are oriented for the feminine perspective on life which i'm fine with i'm not anti-woman obviously i'm actually um i'm, I'm for i don't know where you are just you know go, try not to judge me i'm i'm for women in leadership. Uh, we have women teach at Crossroads. I'm, I'm not this, uh, you know, uh, I'm not a hyper, I'm pretty darn conservative, but I'm not, not hyper, hyper conservative. But we've got exactly. to recognize that the way we're doing ministry is doing great attracting women. Our most committed people in the faith, other than paid pastors, tend to be women. This is not the way it is in Islam. Their most committed people are men. And part of it is because we've just created these environments for uh, for passive people, if, if your church, the most adventuresome thing your church is doing is inviting people to a study where they where they can go sit in a living room looking at other people with a book on their lap. If that if that's your idea of discipleship, if your idea of discipleship is filling in a blank. You know, you're just it, it, it's just not going to be winsome to the average man. It just isn't. We've got to yep, do exactly. things that are winsome to men. If you look at if you look at the New Testament. Well, actually, the paper in the back of the New Testament, Jim, back where the old school maps are, back in the days when we used to read paper Bibles. I mean, there's arrows going all over the place. And Jesus said, go into all the world. He was talking to people who died within five to 10 miles of wherever they were born. 
And so the idea of getting on a boat, going to a land that you've never heard of was mind blowing. It was adventurous. And I don't think our churches, I don't think our ministries are capturing the adventurous imagination of the average man or woman. And that's a huge blue ocean strategy we've got to take advantage of. Well, and you're absolutely right. And I tend to be uh, biblically conservative, philosophically, or biblically with women. I'm a little bit, I have give a lot of room there. Philosophically, I'm a little bit more conservative, but I agree with you. Hey, if God, the, put the women where God is calling the women, but we're talking about men here. Right. We're talking about men. And so I appreciate your perspective. So you wrote this book, The Five Marks of a Man. On page 16, you said, as you read, you will find every man you respect holds to this code. Unfortunately, our culture has hidden that code under layers of progressivism, and it has doomed many males to perpetual boyhood. I don't want you to be just another boy victim. That is why I wrote this book. So it sounds like that's your why. Right. Um, there are there are 15-year-old men and there are 55-year-old boys. It's not a matter of how old you are, whether or not you passed 18. It's not even a matter, Jim, of whether or not you're a believer and going to heaven. I'd love to say, receive Christ, get baptized, and you're a man. That's just not the way it is. I mean, you're a man as far as you're over 18 and you have testicles, but the behaviors of men that we respect are not bound to the Christian faith. And in fact, there's just too many guys inside of the Christian faith, inside of churches that are living anemic lives and they're very, very boyish in their tendencies. And maybe that's a reason why we're not attracting other men. I mean, I, I don't want to go to a Cub Scout meeting. I, I, I don't want to do that. And a lot of guys don't want to go to an average church because it's Cub Scout meeting with a, with a bunch of boys or talking women speak. Yep. No, I agree. So this book right here I wrote, I, I in that book I identify exactly what you're saying. Uh, really, a man is as a man does. A man is not his biology, is not man is not his age, a man is not his career. He is as a man is as he does. So I appreciate that, man. You know, hey, I want to jump into your book and I want to unpack this book, The Five Marks of a Man. I think it's got something here that men can really, really grab a hold of. And you take a passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. It says this be on the alert. This is New American Standard Version. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And so you took that book or that passage and you broke it down into five working components. And I, if it's okay with you, I just want to break down and let you uh, talk us through each one. Yeah, so not necessarily in order. These 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 uh, things uh, are, are represented in that passage, but I'm not saying that that passage is the thing that uh, lays out all of these these items. Yeah. These items came from my own personal reflection with every man that I that I respect, whether I knew them personally or I've read about them in a biography. The first thing to understand about that passage, though, which is so countercultural, it says, "Act like men." Now, I'm sure there's translations out there that want to say, or more progressive translations in the future, they're going to say, "Act like adults." Act like emotionally enlightened individual. Act like a modern thinking person. Doesn't say any of those things. Act like men. We, we've got to understand the call to being a man is a high call. It's, it's an amazing thing to be a man, not just because we're blessed to be able to stand up and pee. That's amazing. But you can drop <laughs> us in any culture, in any time period, and we're going to have unique opportunities that are available to us that aren't available to women. And that comes with the responsibility. And we're not supposed to act like boys who are trying to prove their, prove their manhood, uh, which is many people who have trucks with big tires and hunt and all that stuff. I happen to have a truck with the big tires and I hunt, but that's not the source of my, source of my manhood. Uh, but we've got to recognize it's okay to act like men. It's, it's a high call to act like a man. So one of the things that we have to have is a, is a man has to have a vision. A man has a vision. And a boy lives day to day. Mm -hmm. When I grew when I grew up in my parents' house, and actually all through college, I just wanted a good day. I, I wanted a nice, easy day. I wanted to feel good that day. I wanted a path of least resistance that day. That's what that's what boys do. It's part of why it took me seven years to get my four year degree in college. Part of why it took <laughs> accounting one three times 
<laughs> I oh, wanted man. a good day. And a good day didn't mean didn't mean going and to school and studying. I would wake up on a I would wake up on the morning of finals for an accounting class and just say, I don't feel like going. I'd I'd fail the whole thing, have to redo the whole thing all over again. That's part of what happens when your parents pay for your education, by the way. You don't have any skin in the game. Absolutely. But, yeah, totally. But the idea behind vision, Jim, is vision is not I'm gonna be the next Elon Musk or something like that. Vision, there's a there's a thing out there in the future that you don't have right now and you can't have right now, but you're willing to wait and work to get to that thing. It's that lag time. Boys don't want to do that. They'll shoplift, steal bubble gum instead of get a job and work for it. So man's got to have a vision and that vision can change, but you got to have something in your life that you're pushing for. Are you pushing for a college degree? Is your vision to be the first man that you've had in your family who's never had a divorce? Uh, you have a vision of pushing forward to be sober. You have a vision to start a business. You have a business to be a vision to be able to pay for your grandkids' education. I mean, what, what's your vision? If you don't have a vision, then you're a boy. Well, I, I love what you said in your book. You said boys live only for today. Then you continued. You said they wait for inspiration to strike or for someone to hand them their big break or for the perfect woman to walk through the door. Men dream of something bigger, define it, and then work towards it boys look for the path of least resistance they look for the open doors and instant gratification to be found on the other side and so i thought that was so powerful now you've been talking about vision and in your book you call vision for a man you call vision the secret ingredient is is the secret ingredient of vision is focus can you talk us through what you mean by focus yeah focus is knowing what you're going after and not changing course until you get it. Uh, sometimes not everything you not everything you start is worth finishing. I just want to say as a caveat, there's some things you may start that aren't worth finishing. But a boy never finishes anything. So correct, you got to go. That's the thing that I'm going to do, and I'm not going to put my eye on another prize or on a, on another goal until I have that thing. By the way, all this talk that we have in our culture about balance. <laughs> when you're a man who's about vision, you do not have any balance. There's no like 50-50, I rest 50% of the time, I work 50% of the time. Balance is more like a golf swing where you're loading up your weight in different parts of the swing. But if you're balanced, you're never going to swing your club. The whole swing of the club is about being unbalanced, throwing a punch. You throw a punch by shifting your weight around, not by being balanced or else you wouldn't have a, a powerful punch. And so we've got to have seasons where we are unbalanced. We're working our finger to the bone. We, we don't have, you know, all that much rest other than maybe a one day a week Sabbath. But that's what it means to have vision. Sometimes you just have a really, really awful run at it. And men are, are, are with that. You know, I've got right now, it's, it's a small vision. It's a very, very small vision, Jim. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big one. It's not going to change my life. But I'm, I, I've been a hunter for the last... Uh, I've hit, hunted white-tailed deer for the last oh, five years or so. In the last couple of years, I've started taking uh, doing elk. And so this is coming up to be my first backpack hunt on elk. I've had a base camp and gone out to find them, come back. This is the first backpack uh, hunt that I've uh, I've done. And so today, you know, I had 45 pounds on my back and walking up and down hills for three and a half miles after having injured my Achilles about a month ago. It's the first time I, first time I did it. And I am focused on a vision of lasting eight days in Colorado. I hope I get an elk. It's not so much about the elk. I, I definitely want to get an elk, but I mainly want to finish the goal of camping out of my backpack for eight days and, and hiking however many dozens of miles I do. It's a, it's cool to have a vision, something you're pushing yourself to, whether it's something physical something mental, something spiritual. Well, <clears throat> you need to go listen to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. Uh, they make Exo Mount uh, Backpacks. Yeah. That is, that is my go-to well. podcast. Yeah, know those guys well. Mark, uh, yeah, Mark is a great guy. Yeah. Mark's a friend of mine. Yeah, he's one of our kind is of he? consultants. Yeah, I'm for, he's, a, he's out of St. Louis, neat believer. Yeah, Mark yeah. and I talk on the phone pretty regularly. But those guys, I love those guys. But I'm going to go back to balance. Because we just, guys, listen to me. Men, listen to me. Last week, you heard a podcast from Robert Owens. 
He was told that he was the fittest 66-year-old in the world. This guy did seven marathons in seven days in seven continents consecutive. Robert Balance on his pod, or Robert Owens talked about being out of balance or in a state of unbalance and then bringing yourself back. And guys, you're hearing that again from Brian. You've got to get into a state of unbalance to focus on the goal ahead. So guys, this is really important. Don't let this get away from you. Unbalance. So I appreciate you saying that, Brian. That just confirms uh, previous guests we've had. And great men in history were never balanced. Well, 100% right, Jim. But we also got to recognize that it goes both ways. So you've got to have you know, significant off time to be able to live that way. In Genesis Absolutely. 1, God rests from his work after working for six days. He rests from his work. Human beings are created in the sixth day. We rest to work. So we rest first before we work. And some guys, most of us feel like I've got to be exhausted to have earned my rest. No, man, once, you've, once you're exhausted, it's going to take you a long time to get back to par. You need to be working out of your rest. So I take significant time off. Significant every summer for me, it's just me. It's, I mean, I started the church. I can kind of wire my own schedule. But this last summer, I took off seven weeks, seven weeks in a row. I'm going to take off here ten days to go doing in in Colorado. So we're not talking about pedal to the metal, twenty four seven, three sixty five. You can't do that. But you've got to know when those seasons are, and you got to know that uh, it's great to chill out and do nothing and relax. So the second uh, five of the five marks of a man are men take a minority position. You know, it's really interesting. Last night I was talking to a Linfield university football team. I'm their chaplain and we do an after practice prayer. And my message to them was titled the majority are usually wrong. Mm. And I have this 10% rule. I work at that 10% of people I run into are usually believers. And so it's really interesting this minority position concept and how you you coupled that in the book along with this message I had. What do you mean when you say that? And and what does it mean for a man to really understand this as he has a long-term vision for his faith and his life? Well, if we take a look at the he- heroes in the Bible, Jim, every single one of them was in the minority. That's why they were a hero. Every single one of them was standing against the tide. Every one. Abraham, one guy who's called. And, you know, Genesis 12, too. You know, Noah, obviously, like a family. Uh, the prophets, they're like giving a message to where the masses are, where they shouldn't be. Uh, the disciples of Jesus, you know, there's 12 or there's 72, however you want to look at it. They're, they're, in, they're in the minority. So if you want to be average, which is what boys want, boys just want to fit in. Boys aren't really looking to excel. If you want to be average, you need to be where the masses are. And that means you're going to have to have the attitudes of the masses. You're going to have to have the practices of the masses. You're going to have to have the disciplines of the, of the masses. But when you're a man, you get used to being in the minority. We're like, we're like eagles, not pigeons. Boys are like pigeons. They're all over the place. Yeah. You know, you, you can't get them away from you. They all, they all flock together and they're down the ground. But man, birds of prey, eagles, hawks, I mean, we're, we're trying to soar above it. And so as men, we just got to get used to the people we vote for normally aren't going to win. You know, when we when we talk about what sexuality looks like in our culture, we're, we're always going to be viewed as as being a prude. Uh, when yep. we take a look at our, uh, you know, our, our recreational pursuits or we take a look at what our dreams are, the average person is going to scratch their head and go, you know, what? When we actually discipline our kids and do something like. Oh, I'm going to get hate mail on this, but don't tell anybody, but I spanked my kids. I spanked. Oh, baby. (laughs) So hard. (laughs) I spanked my kids. And I'll tell you. So hard. My kids (laughs) never, they never embarrassed me in public. Never. My kids were a joy. But I'll tell you what, I'm not saying you have to spank, you must spank your kids. I'm not saying that right now. What I'm saying, though, is if you want a kid who's a different, you're going to have to do some things that the minority of people are going to do. Uh, you're just going to have to pray more than others do. And you're going to have different family. You're, you're going to be in the minority. And, and so as a man, you just got to be accepted that you're going to get hated on social media if you ever get up to that level, because the masses are not going to understand you. And uh, that's a that's a critical thing for us as men. Well, that's happening to us right now. Uh, and it's really been fun. We're finally uh, going through persecution for our stances. And it's really been enjoyable for me because I think if we're not, 
having pushback or resistance, then we're doing something wrong. In your book, you had a one of my other favorite Brian Tome quotes is coming up. You ready, Brian? Often when the majority is faced with a challenge, they don't love have the guts to admit it. And then you continue. You say, boys often go with the flow. Men are willing to go against the tide when necessary. One of the things that makes this tougher than it needs to be is that we men of the 21st century are weenies. I need to know, or you said, then you continued, I know that it's not easy to hear, but I think if we can admit it, we can do something about it. So you're calling men out. You're saying, guys, we do identify something here. We are soft. A hundred percent we're soft. We have less physical challenge than any man has in history. While we have more accoutrements and comforts than any man does in history, we're, we are more prone and sensitive to criticism than than other men that we respect are. We don't have long-term goals that we go after. We we cash in on marriage and th- throw the towel on our marriage quicker than previous generations have. We change jobs like ridiculously amount of time. Now part of that's because of how the economy has changed and how business in America has changed, but you just don't see people sucking it up and getting through jobs. Last month, we lost 4% of the workforce. Last month, 4% of everybody quit their job we're we're not very able to handle difficulty you mentioned earlier on that you did the 57 mile rock and that that that, that's amazing that's that's sweet that is but that is so far out of reach for the average guy so for us we we have our man camp if you if you could hike a mile on gravel and guys are like high fiving themselves because they they don't remember the last time they they hiked a mile and had weight yeah and they're overweight and and I'm not shaming people who that's a challenge I'm going it's good for us to give challenges it, it doesn't take much of a challenge to give somebody a challenge because we're very under challenged as a culture well and I you know we live in a culture I just was watching a, a news reel on Aaron Rodgers last week against the Chicago Bears. He, he just, the Green Bay Packers just beat the Bears all the time. And he got into the end zone. He screamed to the audience, I still own you. I still own you. And so here comes cancel culture <laughs> saying, oh, wait, that's racist. And Aaron Rodgers said on an interview, have we become that soft that we have to live in a cancel culture? And the answer is yes. Hmm. The answer is yes. We are that soft. You said something that I thought was really good in the book when it comes along with this being the minority. You said good things cost something. They just do. Vision is hard. It's laborious. Sometimes doors have to be knocked down. It is intense. God is up to something, and it has nothing to do with easy, open doors. And I love what you said here, Brian. God is building heroes. And as you said earlier, heroes stand against the crowd. They do. There's a there's a rushing torrent of current, of water, that that rushes against us. And the rest of everybody else gets in the current and it just lets it sweep wherever it goes. But as leaders, we have to plant our feet and we have to go upstream. It's a it's a fight in every way. Our sexual ethics, our practices in, in marriage, what we're going to do with our with our income, not spending to zero. I, I interact with a financial consultant friend of mine. He says, it doesn't matter who I work with, how much money they make or how little money they make. Everybody spends to zero. People spend to zero. So if you want to get ahead financially, you're going to have to be in the minority and not spend to zero however much money you make. Uh, American culture doesn't understand that. We only have savings so we can have, so we can make a big purchase, you know? And it's from, from, from start from soup to nuts, Jim, our culture is going to make us feel weird and we're not going to be accepted and we're not going to be welcomed and it sucks i hate that i don't like it i don't like it all it's wonderful to walk with god and have people like you i've had that happen a number of times it's really wonderful it still can happen but increasingly we've got to recognize that we're going to choose a different path or as jesus says a narrow path why is it a narrow path versus a wide path to the the wide path goes to destruction the narrow path goes to the way of life and the kingdom of heaven why is it narrow doesn't have to be wide because so, so few people are going there that's why Jesus isn't necessarily saying you're going to get whacked with tree branches in your face and it's going to be an awful climb. It doesn't need to be paved wide because there's so few people going there. It's like single file line. 
Well, and one of the things we have for our men is we exist to help men become their best version, their best version. And here's what we keep telling men. And here's what I'll say again, guys, you cannot be your best version on the wide path. You got to take the narrow road. You got to take the steepest climb. Your best version is full of pain and sweat and tears and suffering. And this is what he's saying here. But you know, Brian, it's, it's, we talk about suffering. We talk about going against the flow, but there is an element to being a man that you unpack in your book. And I really appreciate it because oftentimes we are so busy hammering the men. We forget something about men that's really important. And it's this, a, a man, one of the marks of a man is he's a team player, which means he has a life. He enjoys life. You said about this, uh, boys are fixated on the tests of the big moments. Men know it's much more about the daily test of the, tr the test of the trivial. It's a small everyday choice that shape our character and prepare us for the big moments. And, and you talk about boys like to be comfortable, but men make each other better. Can you talk about this team player and how play comes into it? Yeah. Uh, you know, the boy wants to be the MVP. He wants to be all time, all time quarterback, all time MVP. It's all about him. But men as team players, we take one for the team, meaning we do things that we don't really want to do, but it's really good for the team. We're having declining marriage rates in our country because we're having declining number of males that want to be on a team. The greatest team we'll ever be on is in marriage, but we're less and less interested in that kind of commitment. So our marriage rates keep going down and our divorce rates go up and we get married later and later. So it's a focus of team. The thing about team, Jim, is my best moments of remembering when I had fun are always with other people or always with a team whether it was high school football, whether it was doing stupid things uh, when I was a boy, but blowing up mailboxes as a, as a high school kid, you know, you're, you're with friends of yours, whether it's this backcountry elk hunt I'm doing in, in, in eight days, there's a, there's an element of play that happens when you are with somebody else. It's good for us to be alone, alone with God, but I've just not found most people being able to have play by themselves, at least not those who are, who are extroverts. So it's critical to do that because we're we're not human doings, we're human beings. And I've actually interacted with fathers before who said, I'm concerned about my kids, that they study too much. I just can't get them to stop studying. There are actually are some kids that are like that. God likes to see his kids playing in the sandbox. God likes to see his kids playing ping pong. God likes to go to people's football games. He, he, he wants to see you play. That's uh, we have a playfulness about us that God has put into us and we need to not feel guilty about that. We need to spend money on it and we need to spend time on it because on the other end of that play, we're going to be more invigorated for the vision that God has for our life. Well, you know, the only problem I have with that, Brian, is that when you say playing in the sandbox, you know, I tried that when I was a kid, but the cats kept trying to bury me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Hey, yeah. you know, so Dr. Brene Brown wrote this, and you said this in your book, and I, I want to go back to this again. She said, when adults don't play much, the consequences are rigidity, depression, lack of adaptability, loss of irony and such. And you know what's really interesting? I want us to camp on this a little longer because the men who are listening to this podcast are guys that get it done. These guys are working hard. They're involved in their communities. They're loving their woman, their wife. They're loving their children. These guys struggle with guilt over play and taking time to do that. And I think it's important to empower. We don't want to empower the sloth and say, hey, just keep la being lazy. But these guys that are working their butts off, we want to empower them. Man, get out there and have fun. Do something with your life. What else can you speak to these guys about? you know, what you do to yeah. build play into your routine. Stuart Brown, who is the founder of the National Institute of Play. That's, that's got to be the greatest company to work for. The National what a great Institute. job. That's right. He had a, uh, I saw him on a podcast years and years ago, watched all of his stuff. I've tried to get him on my podcast. He either doesn't care about me or he's died. I'm not, I'm not sure which it is. But he talks about the neurological benefits of play. When we get into a different environment, we have breakthroughs. And he believes that one of the critical elements is getting into an area that is dangerous. When you are in play where there is an element of danger, 
it recuperates your brain in a in a faster way. So for him, Stuart Brown, when I saw this podcast, I'm speak, I'd say he's 65. He had taken up motorcycle riding. And you say, yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. I know that that's exactly why I'm doing it. I find that when I'm on a motorcycle, I'm thinking about the road and not getting killed and losing all of my other problems. And I think that's an important thing. Now, you contrast that with our country that's so freaking safety oriented. I mean, we got more we got more seatbelts. We got more airbags. We got more insurance policies. We got more safety nets. We've got more savings accounts. We've got more, you know, protective gear than any culture in the history. We we put our we put our kids in a helmet when they're on a tricycle in the basement. Oh my goodness, could that be linked to why our youngest generations are the most fear-ridden generations? It's never been that way before, but the most fear-ridden, stress, anxiety-ridden generations are our youngest generations. A bunch of reasons for that. I think it's because they've also been conditioned. To, to not be around a dan- around danger. And so for us, I encourage you to find something that's a little dangerous. What, what would that be? Is that, is that a zip line? Is that hiking for three days? You're not sure you can do it. Is it motor- motorcycle riding? I motorcycle ride. <clears throat> uh, I haven't ridden much in the last year, but I motorcycle ride. I, I hunt. I, I just do things that are, that are a bit dangerous. So isn't that dangerous? Yeah, that's kind of the point. Yeah, it is kind of the point. Uh, and I find it well, rejuvenates I- me. And danger not only rejuvenates, but it brings you closer to the men you're with, and it strengthens you. You know, I have to laugh. In my book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times, I tell a story of my son Darby and I. Uh, we backpacked into the wilderness the day before. This is three years ago. The day before he got the flu, it was probably coronavirus. <laughs> Never, I'm just kidding. He got the flu. We got to the trailhead. We had to go six miles. We had scouted the area before. We had to go six miles in, 3,500 feet of gain with full packs. This is a mule deer hunt, rifle mule deer. As we got started climbing, it started snowing. So now he's he was had the flu yesterday. Now he's climbing in the snow. We get up to our camp. It's completely snowed in, a foot and a half of snow. We're in this tent, and we're laying there, and he goes, Dad, tell me deer stories. And I started telling him my favorite hunting stories. And he said, all of those stories were horrible stories. Those aren't fun. Those were like survival. <laughs> I said, but that's the joy of it. And he said, well, is it bad that I'm just thinking about survival not now, right now and not killing a deer? And I go, it's bad, but we're going to have a great story. And we did have a great story. That is what forges manhood. And that is what forges strength. And, and that, and to me, you, you, you're suffering through it, but there's a joy in it when you look back, which makes us strong. And that's your fourth point. You said in your book, one of the fourth, the fourth mark of a man is that men work. Yeah. So what yeah. did you mean by that? Well, Jim, do you remember that time when everything went well according to plan? No, you don't remember that well, time. T- no, you, no, you don't remember at all. You remember the times when the wheels fell off, when you were pushed on the edge. And so your son saying, I'm only thinking about surviving right now. I think that's fine. But you're going to tell him you're not going to think about that in the future. You're going to look back on this with very fond memories. So it works. Well, yeah. it's really funny. This is a picture with one of my friends with a 400 bull. Wow. That's a 400. That's what a 400 bull looks like. We shot that on a private le- with a bow, private land in New Mexico. When I came home from that hunt, I was so bored because we hunted in stands for these elk. I had to go back and I killed this buck called the Perseverance Buck. It took me 11 days in the pouring rain to find this buck. Finally killed him on day 12. To me, that is better than this because of the suffering involved. The suffering because we have to work to feel like we've earned it. Now, now when it comes to suffering, we've hinted at this a little bit, but but misery loves company, right? You wrote this in your book, and I thought this was really powerful. You said, lone wolves are losers. In the wild, lone wolves can't thrive, nor in life can men thrive on their own. If there was one discipline I could impart to every male, it would be this. Choose the right friends and leverage them wisely. Male friendships is a spiritual discipline that needs to be elevated. How does this play into this concept of work and strength? Yeah, I, I stand by that statement. I think it's for a man, it's more important than reading the Bible. I think as a man, it's more important than even praying. I think those are hypercritical. You should have that. But I also think reading the Bible and praying comes alive more when you're with people and when you're with friends. No one had a Bible to read until the printing press came around about 1600 years after Jesus left the earth. 
those folks were fine and healthy and the church thrived in large part because they had interdependent relationships that they were doing uh, life with one another. So as we as we become more isolated and come on, online communities are isolation. I'm thankful for online communities. I've learned a lot about hunting and gear, tri- gear tricks and all kinds of stuff online and how to how to how to fix my truck. I think it's wonderful, but it's not making a deposit in you relationally. It's not elevating your uh, your sense of belonging, your your joy level. And when we get when we can find a few guys that we can journey through in life, our work gets better because they can point out to us things that we might not be doing all that well. Someone, one of my buddies just um, texted uh, a few of us in our thread yesterday. I said, hey, I got this new guy. I'm trying to have him manage and he's just really, really bad at it. Uh, what what books do you have to recommend for new managers? I'm like, bam, 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 you know, three guys, try this, try this, try this. His work life is better because he's able to lean into people who have managed a lot of people and it's making his business better. But when we're isolated, we just don't have all all that we have in and of ourselves. And we don't and we can't play. We don't laugh. I don't I don't laugh by my own. I don't. Maybe every once in a while something on TV will make me laugh. But what do I want to do immediately? If I see on YouTube, I want to share it with somebody. Because it's in yep. relationships that we laugh, in relationships that our business and stuff can go up, in relationships that our marriage improves. If you're if you're not with somebody else who's talking about their marriage difficulty or how you're seeing how some other marriage is thriving and you respect that guy, you're not going to get tips for your own marriage. So any way you slice it, Jim, one way or the other, if you're not in interdependent, uh, soul-filling friendships with men, you are not going to have the life that you want to have. Well, again, this is under the mark of a man that a man works. And so the problem with boys is they don't want to work or be challenged. I love what you said on page 77, Brian. You said this. I know I'm quoting your book a lot, but I like what you're saying in here. You said, boys surround themselves with people who will tell them the things they want to hear. Men take advice and counsel from friends, even when it's tough to hear, when they might not agree with it, whenever and however they can get it because they know it makes them smarter, better, and stronger. And I I don't know about you, Brian. I'm 55, you're 56. I find myself having to beg people to call me out. I had a guy called me out on this concept of men are soft. And I'm like, hey, can you come on our podcast? I finally have somebody who can disagree with me in a manly way without getting angry. And he said, yeah, I'd have, that's going to be fun. And me and this guy are going to become friends. I'm sure of it, you know, because he had the guts to call me out on something and to do it in a way that would make me better. What's his points? I'm curious. What's his points as to why I think well, we're not. He, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I, this guy is a phenomenal Spartan athlete. And I think there may be some, discrepancy between me saying men are soft and him th- seeing it as uh, physically soft because he's not physically soft, but I think every man has an area in their life. They're soft at least one area. So we'll unpack it. I think it's just a matter of a defining terms, but at least he wanted to pose the question in- intelligently and not emotionally. Yeah, that's a good word. I like it. So I appreciate that. And I respect that. And so do you have guys in your life that call you out regularly? Oh yeah, I, I absolutely do. I've got, I've got close friends and those guys who call me out regularly are the ones who I am going to go hunt elk with and are the ones I also, some of my ride motorcycles with, and they're also friends that I work here on staff at the church with. Um, yeah, you can't have a situation where, where you're looked at as, you know, untouchable. You have to be touchable. So the last, the, the last one, Brian, is uh, protectors. And so you talk about a man loving, you know, and that protection comes out of that. Again, you you talk about this on your in your book. You said boys identify themselves with what they consume. Men are identified by what they produce. Can you talk us through this protector's idea? Yeah, when I had somebody come to the house to ask my daughters out on a date, I would never let somebody just take my golf clubs, who I didn't know, or or take my car that I didn't know, but someone shows up my house and I'm supposed to just let you take my daughter. Oh, my daughter. Sure. Take her out. I'm sure it's fine. No, I need to protect her. I need to ask them some questions. I need to, in one situation, I need to drive with them and see how he drives in a car. I need to protect my daughters. We need to protect people in our life. So we have to have savings so we can cover their gap for them when they have every once in a while. It's a way to protect. 
instead of just take, take, taking. Boys take, take, take. They want handouts. They want to work the system themselves. But as men, we've got to have a, a capacity and a desire to jump into somebody's mess and help them. That's yep. protecting them. Man, I really appreciate this, Brian. I appreciate all the work you've done, the work you do for men. Hey, last question. How can men get a, get a hold of your resources and learn more about what you do? Easiest way, Jim, is bryantome.com. Hey, man, thank you so much, Brian. Hey, guys, Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Guys, let's get our boots on the ground. I want you to identify which of these five areas that we talked about today that you are the weakest. I want you to deal with it. Are you a man of vision? Are you a man who takes a minority position? Are you a team player? Are you willing to work hard? And are you a protector? Figure that out. Make yourself the best version. Brian, thanks so much for coming on our show, man. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Good work. All right. Have a great day. I know you're on a rush. Yeah, we'll talk I later. Thank you. Love you, Jim. Really good man. Thank yep. you. Good to meet you. See, see you, bro. Hey, guys, I hope you really enjoyed our episode today with Brian Tome. Guys, make sure you head on over to meninarena.org and grab a free copy of my new book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. And while you're there, sign up to join one of our many virtual teams by clicking the Join Our Program button. Guys, you need to plug in to a small group. So make sure you do that today. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.